0: Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode... We're joined by Harvey Siegel, University of Miami. Harvey Siegel, welcome to Pipelines.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So, um, knowing our format, perhaps you can get us started by telling our listeners how you came to do uh, work in education, asking these philosophical questions of education.
1: Right. Uh, So, I think I'm unlike many people in the philosophy of education society, Mm. in that I didn't even know philosophy of education existed as a subject Mm. until very late in my undergraduate career. I was Mm. an undergraduate philosophy major at Cornell. And um, while I was at Cornell, I took a course in philosophy of science and I read Israel Scheffler's Science and Subjectivity, Mm -hmm. fell in love with it, said, uh, I want to work with this guy. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote him a letter saying, what I just said. And he wrote back and said, well, you could apply to the philosophy department, uh, for, to the graduate program, or you could apply to my program in the School of Education, in philosophy mm. of education. And that was the first time I had ever seen the words philosophy of education. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I thought about it, and I applied to the program in philosophy of education, because I didn't think I'd get into the program in philosophy, which I'm <laughs> sure is still true. Um, uh, and uh, I was lucky enough to be accepted, and so I went to Harvard to study philosophy of education with Israel Scheffler. Oh, wow. That program was uh, conjoint with the philosophy department, so more than half of my work at Harvard was in the philosophy department. Mm-hmm. So I I worked with all the great people there who were there in the seventies. It was sure. a very exciting intellectual. Experience
0: And so what were some of the, the, the issues that you found yourself uh, thinking through at that time? And uh, any connection between those uh, early issues with the work that you ended up oh, yeah, doing? Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, so so uh, the book was Science and Subjectivity. So sure. that was all about objectivity, subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was very interested in, in defending objectivity against the Kuhnian onslaught. Sure. Uh, and... Um, Objectivity is very closely related to rationality. Mm. So it was an easy segue to to uh, go f- from a primary focus on objectivity to a more primary focus on rationality. Right. And Scheffler, of course, is famous for his work on rationality right. in education. Right. And so uh, when I got to Harvard and started working with him, I... Realized for the first time that questions about rationality and the normative force of what is it what's why is it important what's mm-hmm. its normative force what is it you know why is it better to have a belief that's rationally justified sure. rather than not um, though that cluster of issues uh, is central to philosophy of education in mm-hmm. my view, okay. but it's also central to philosophy of science and epistemology and even in some ways ethics mm-hmm. um, and these days in philosophy. Now, in 2015, uh, normativity is all the rage. Mm. And uh, while normativity, as it is often discussed in philosophy of language, philosophy of mind, is not exactly or completely what epistemologists of the Schefflerian ilk mm. thought of it as, right. it's pretty close. And still, so that issue, that the cluster of issues around objectivity, rationality, relativism, naturalism, those are the issues that have animated my entire career.
0: So now for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, the concept of rationality as you're talking about it and uh, the, the sort of normative force that, uh, that it might lend, um, why, why should we care about rationality? I mean, you see, you, you, yeah. you, you suggested that we should. and right. uh, yeah wh- wh- Why should we care about rationality in this way?
1: Yeah, well, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, and it's, in a way, the most the fundamental normative sure. question. Um, but so if you look at contemporary ethical scholarship, mm. like uh, Scanlon on reasons, or CourseGuard sure. on practical reasons, sure. um, reasons are at the center of things. If you think about uh, action theory, hmm. reasons for action at the center of the entire discussion in action theory. Uh, in epistemology, uh, a belief is justified at least on many accounts, mm. insofar as it's backed by reasons or evidence, so justification and reasons or and rationality are tightly connected. Same in philosophy of science. If you talk about theory choice, which was a big issue in the Kuhnian and post-Kuhnian era, sure. uh, you wanted to talk about you were talking about rational theory choice. It is theory choice that had some something going for it. So you right. wanted to choose this theory because it was in some sense or other better right. than the other theory, and saying what that better amounted to. Uh, was the challenge. So in all those areas of philosophy, of philosophy um, the notion of reasons and being backed by reasons or justified on the basis of reasons, the connection between reasons and evidence. Uh, all those questions are central to any kind of normative conception of um, who we are and what we do and Mm. why we should do what we should do and shouldn't do what we shouldn't do. So so in that sense, reasons are central to the whole philosophical ball of wax. Mm. And so it's interesting, this is now moving on to a a slightly separate point, it's interesting that um, especially in the current world of philosophy of education, there is a great suspicion of uh, reasons and rationality and justification and so on, mm. and uh, I think that's a really bad thing mm. for philosophy of education. I think I think um, uh, there's a certain self defeatingness mm. to being skeptical about reasons. Of course, you should be uh, appropriately fallibilistic, sure. and you should be appropriately. Um, humble about mm. your ambitions for rationality. So when we talk about rationality, we're not talking about Cartesian certainty sure. or anything like that, uh, but we're talking about doing something or thinking something, believing something, because it's better to do that thing than some other thing, right. or believes that thing rather than some other thing, because there are reasons that support it. Mm. So that idea of reason support Mm. seems to me ineliminable. You can't really do philosophy without something like that notion of normativity. And so, anybody who, or philosophical work that systematically challenges that, um, I think it runs a real risk of undercutting itself. Because you have no reason to buy the skeptical position if there aren't any good reasons to buy it. And so, if you're going to be critical of reasons, that's got to be on the basis of reason. So there's a kind of limit beyond which the rejection of reason cannot go without undermining itself.
0: And so what what I hear you to be saying is uh, on the one hand, uh, uh, something about educational research and the way in which we do educational research, particularly in philosophy of education, uh, requires that we do make these uh, appeals to rationality and on the grounds of that appeal to rationality we can then uh, make some sort of normative statement. But I also wonder about the way in which in education itself, uh, there has perhaps been a uh, uh, um, an evasion, if you will, of uh, certain forms of uh, uh, normative argumentation. Said differently, there seems to be a resistance in education to making uh, truly normative claims. And I wonder if, right. to your mind, it comes from the research or if the research comes from the uh, attitude of uh, those who care about education? Or
1: That's uh, a very good question. And I, to be honest, yeah. I don't have a good answer to okay. that question. Where okay. does it come from? Sure. Uh, sure. I mean, In philosophy of education, I think the worry about normativity or reasonableness or something um, comes from a kind of uh, post-structuralist, leotardian rejection of metanarratives and all that. Uh, And, you know, I think there is a point to that, Mm. up to a point. Mm. But to take it all the way is to undercut yourself, so mm-hmm. or so I've argued anyway. Okay. In, in in real education, uh, that is the real world of education, I suspect that the worries aren't really so much philosophical sure. postmodernist or deconstructionist sure. or something like that, and it's much more a, a practical matter. Policymakers, educational right. policymakers, politicians have lost sight of the fact that the point of education, at least I, in my opinion, is to help students to become able to... Uh, think for themselves, mm. decide for themselves how mm. to live, who to be, sure. to drive their own epistemic engine, as sure. I like to put it. And uh, that idea, that vision of education, so you, we educate so as to enable them to be mm. the best people they can be uh, on their own bat, sure. um, is uh, replaced by worries about jobs and Economic. where they're going to yeah. fit into the economy and all that stuff. And that's, I think, a very short-sighted view of of what education is all about. Yeah. And so I don't really see the sort of the postmodernists on one side and the uh, sure. right-wing politicians on the other side or policymakers on the mm. other side um, mm. uh, having the same motivation. Mm. But from their different directions, they both end up challenging a what I would think of as a sort of fully normatively uh, engaged uh, attempt to empower students mm to uh take the reins and drive their own lives and change social arrangements sure. as they should be changed sure but of course as they should be changed means changed on the basis of reasons sure so so yeah so i think that's that's a a, a sad commentary on the state of education today but yeah
0: what i I think i think i think that you're quite right though about the the sorts of arguments that are at least um, in the uh, the realm of policy right the sorts of arguments that are advanced uh, uh, in defense of or in support of uh, particular educational moves Now, in addition to the to these concerns are there any other concerns that you uh, uh, sort of find yourself returning to in your work or that you find uh, uh, articulated through your uh, through your projects
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, My philosophical work is always crossed over from philosophy of education to sort of straight epistemology and philosophy of science, and also to, on the other side, or another side, argumentation theory um, and informal logic. So I've written about critical thinking, and where critical thinking is the... Picture of critical thinking that I advance is um, is very much the normative based on reasons sure. picture that I've been mentioning. Um, so think about in philosophy of education, we worry about well, what is critical thinking and why is it good and so on. Mm. In epistemology, we worry about the nature of justification. Sure. Uh, and those questions are not identical, but they're very they're closely connected, been, yeah, yeah. right? So, uh, so I see what I do as and. In argumentation theory, it's the same thing. What makes an argument a good argument and what is the normative force of, right. you know, uh, how do how do premises actually support conclusions and right. what's the nature of that support? Um, uh, so it seems to me that all, all those areas uh, are wrestling with the same cluster of issues. And in my work, I keep coming back to those issues in one way or another. One threat to them is relativism, which is – what uh, what people got so exercised with about Kuhn, right. um, or exercised about with Kuhn. Um, in uh, epistemology and other areas of philosophy, mm. uh, the, uh, there's an, a sort of parallel threat, but a different threat from naturalism, which mm. is the idea that we should do philosophy, very roughly, the idea that we should do philosophy as a scientist might, sure. uh, and make epistemology uh, descriptive rather than a normative discipline. Mm. So Quine. Of course, is famous for this his famous paper, epistemology Naturalized, although interestingly enough, Quine, toward the end of his career, um, kind of recanted or at least greatly weakened his sure, normativity claim. and explicitly said um, well i didn 't mean to eliminate the normative what i what I meant to say was the normative." has to be uh, a kind of instrumental normativity. That mm-hmm. is, in the end, Quine was a pragmatist, and mm-hmm. we say, well, we have our goals. The goals we have are are not themselves subject to philosophical or epistemological reflection. Uh, but what we can do is uh, study the means to the goals. So, right. instru- so the normativity he embraced was... And instrumental normativity. Yeah. So, part of my work in epistemology, straight epistemology, is to think about the nature of epistemic rationality, as opposed to instrumental rationality. So, instrumental rationality has a bad name these sure. days. Um, so, Habermas is famous for the critique of instrumental sure. reason and so on. And and I, I'm sympathetic to the critique in in so far as it's kept within proper constraints I think it's crazy to think instrumental reason is in and of itself a bad thing when I want you know, a glass oh. of water, and <laughs> I go to the fridge because I think that's where the water is. Right. That's that's instrumental reasoning. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. Um, but it is a mistake philosophically, I think, to think that that's all there is to rationality, or all there is to reasons. Mm. And so, in my work in epistemology, I've tried to, um, so to speak, make the world safe for mm. a categorical conception of rationality. Mm. And categorical there is just a stand-in for non-instrumental. Sure. So there right. should be. We should be able to deliberate rationally about our ends as Mm. well as the means to those ends. And uh, we should be able to have a conception of reasons and the normative support they provide to the things they are reasons for, if they're good reasons, uh, that doesn't depend upon means-ends connections. So I've challenged in a very un-Habermasian way uh, the idea that Uh, rationality is solely instrumental. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, I like Habermas's critique insofar as his point could be put as there's more to reason than instrumental reason. Right. But I think sometimes so that's one, that's a sort of friendly reading of sure. Habermas. But I think sometimes he thinks or he can be read as, as saying that instrumental reasoning itself is a bad thing. Somehow normatively suspect. Right. And that seems crazy to me because in practical matters that's just what we want to do is reason instrumentally.
0: Sure, working in the world. Right. Now, so, so to my to my ears it sounds as though uh, uh, the picture that you've painted here of your interest does a very good job of showing why these sorts of uh, questions of rationality and normativity are important for folks who are working on questions of education right. and why these questions of education can't be very far from some of the issues that you're talking about which are issues that uh, uh, many uh, uh, philosophers might take up and take to be uh, vitally important right. and so earlier on you, you mentioned some stuff about um, uh, sort of the shape of the research right the shape of uh, research and scholarship done in philosophy of education to you Mind moving forward. What are some of the uh, uh, the challenges to philosophy right. of education as a field, and what are some of the uh, uh, areas that perhaps philosophy of education ought to really be paying attention to?
1: Right. Okay. So this is where I think I'm going to say things that are controversial and okay. that many of my fellow philosophers <laughs> of education will not like. Um, well, we know uh, how to disagree with one. Of, of, course. of course. Well, of course sometimes so, <laughs> we try anyway. Yeah. Uh, I. I think it's uh, really a bad idea to think of philosophy of education Mm. as separated from philosophy Uh, and I tried to sketch how in my own work those things just blend together and there's really no way of teasing them apart except artificially Mm. Um, but I think the sad truth is that in the contemporary world Mm. philosophers of education are trained uh, in a way that doesn't adequately engage with philosophy. Yeah. So they're not tr- they don't study epistemology, philosophy yeah. of science, philosophy yeah. of language, yeah. logic, yeah. all the core areas of philosophy. Of course that's a grand overstatement and there are plenty of exceptions. So there are people like you sure. who know your roles and really <laughs> have studied. So of course there are people who do it. Right. But there's a, but there's uh, most PhDs who mm. in philosophy of education are uh, are uh, granted by schools of education mm. and their students aren't necessarily required to take courses in philosophy sure. and so it's easy these days to become a philosopher of education without really have ha- without really having had any kind of serious training in philosophy mm. I think that's the death knell for philosophy of education mm. because if without that intellectual uh, core, sure. it's just, I don't know what it is. It's sure. something like politics combined with literary studies or sure. something, something like that. Huh. So I've been arguing my whole career uh, and trying, working to get philosophy of education back into the world of mm. uh, straight philosophy, general mm. philosophy. So it's well known that in, at least in the West, um, uh, very few philosophy departments have people who specialize in philosophy of education. Right. If you try to get a job in philosophy as a philosophy graduate student, um, you, there are never ads in the philosophy world for philosophers of education. Sure. And so it's it, we're in this uncomfortable situation where, in which, for PhD students in philosophy of education. Mm if they want to get a solid philosophical grounding, uh, there's not really a good philosophy place to do it. Mm. But there's also not a good educational place to do it because yeah. the people who are, who are in schools of education, teaching philosophy of education, don't have the requisite training. Mm. On, I mean, again, that's a gross overgeneralization, sure. but on the whole, for the most part, as sure. I see it. So I think the field of philosophy of education really needs to be reintegrated into the world of philosophy. Yeah. And um, and that's, I have to say, I've been fighting this battle for 30-odd years, and, sure. and it's, a, it's a real struggle. And I could tell lots of stories about, you know, uh, blind alleys I've gone up trying to make progress on that. Sure. But there are a handful of... Um, Uh, people working in departments of philosophy who do really have Mm. suitable uh, training and expertise in philosophy of education and who do teach courses in it so I'm one of them but there Mm. are plenty of others well not plenty of others but a handful of others and uh, I think the future of philosophy of education as an intellectual endeavor Mm. uh, really needs to um, deepen that connection to straight philosophy Mm. so I think when in the uh, in the uh, jobs for philosophers list that comes out every year, sure. if, it, if it goes from zero jobs for philosophers of education <laughs> to one or two or three or five or ten, I'll <laughs> think, great, yeah. I, you know, now, we, success, now yeah. we can survive. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, so 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 Harvey, uh, thank you so much for uh, the comments that you've offered. Uh, you seem to have uh, uh, painted a very hopeful way forward in terms of the actual work being done and the ways in which that work can connect uh, to work outside of the domains of philosophy and education. Uh, but you've also given us something to think about uh, in terms of how we ought to uh, push that work forward. So uh, thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having
0: me. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song Summer as our theme.